Welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. I can honestly say that every one of my guests has highlighted something new about the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life, and what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum, Kay, lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis. And when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. Looking back, I think we'd been in denial about what might be wrong with mum. We were worried, frightened and overwhelmed. So we buried our heads in the sand for far too long, a scenario which is sadly all too common. Now though, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about this cruel condition. It is cruel and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I now know that it's possible to live a decent, if changed life with dementia. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled and satisfying lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this too. Now, I don't know if he'll remember this, but I first encountered today's guest through his then 10-year-old daughter, Annie. She was telling an audience of 800 about her grandma, who developed Alzheimer's at 58. Nana, she said, is still Nana despite her condition. She still dances to the radio, ice skates backwards, and lets her watch TV programmes no matter how dreadful they are. Nana forgets, she said, so I remember. Nana, Liz, died two years ago. Annie Donaghy, who must be in her late teens now, is a chip off the old block. And what a block. Her dad is a huge character. In fact, he's known as Big Ian. At six foot two inches, Ian Donaghy has big ideas all the time, huge energy and a massive Geordie heart. He also has a way with words and people. Some listeners may know him by his Twitter handle, at Training Carers, because that's one of the many things he does. They're not quite like anyone else. It's fair to say his training style is flamboyant rather than finickety, exuberant rather than measured. He's a musician too, and an entertainer, who's filled theatres for 30 years and sung with the biggest names around, including James Blunt, Lulu and Justin Timberlake. During lockdown last year, Ian wrote his third book, A Pocketful of Kindness, when he realised that venues such as the XL in London, that he usually fills as a conference speaker, yes, that's another one of his hats, were being converted into Nightingale hospitals. The idea is that you gift a copy of A Pocketful of Kindness to someone who, though they may not realise it, has made an impact on your life through their kindness, and inside you write why they're receiving it. Another of his books, The Missing Piece, which Ian describes as a patchwork quilt of conversations, letters, monologues and stories to explain the survival techniques people have created to deal with grief, has been adapted into a play and all being well, COVID permitting, will debut at the Joseph Rowntree Theatre in York in January. When we were chatting a few days ago, Ian told me he'd just been recording the big Christmas sing-along in a freezing barn with snow falling outside. I'll leave Ian to explain what the big Christmas sing-along actually is 
and to describe his Made With Love campaign with Joe Bonser and tell us about his role in recruiting nurses into social care for Health Education England. And I'll try my very best to harness the big man's energy and corral his ideas into some sort of order, though I'm not that optimistic, to be honest. But anyway, I must say it's very lovely, if somewhat nerve-wracking, to welcome you, Ian Donaghy, to Well, I Know Now. Goodness me, I can't live up to any of that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel as though I should get me caught now and just leave. Um, no, don't do that, please. When you said that our Annie's a chip off the old block, seriously, that one will leave me for parked. She's now 18. She's yeah. down in Loughton at East 15 Drama School. Is she? And she's doing, oh, she's doing so well. She's the youngest person on the course and she's having a great time. But as you say, back uh, in the Theatre Royal when she... She wowed the crowd that you yeah. could hear a pin drop. And those words, seriously, they put a tear in my eye eight years after the event. That mm. really took me by surprise uh, this morning, Pip. Mm. So lovely to be here, by the way. Mm. Well, we are going to talk about everything you do, if we possibly can fit it all in. Before we do get to the big Christmas thing along and everything else, I want you actually to tell us about your earlier life and its various guises, from nightclub bouncer to teacher to trainer of carers to a stint with the home office of all places, not to mention being a musician, entertainer, performer. So let's start with your job as a teacher at a school for children with special needs in York, about which you once told me, in the students taught me more than I ever taught them. They taught me not what to do, but how to do it. And I think that was full for cross. So let's start by you telling us about your time there and how that would go on to prove the guiding light, really, in your life. Well, firstly, goodness me, you've done your own work. Yes. Well, I'd, I'd gone from being a bouncer. At the time, I was 26, 27 stone, skinhead haircut, and no school were going to touch me. I looked like I could kill James Bond. And this special school in York said to me, come in for the morning. See how you think. And I went there and I left eight years later. I never left. It was just so wonderful. And none of the students there, and I was teaching all the travelling community, young people with Down syndrome, learning difficulties, some behavioural problems because there was nowhere else to put them. So I learned so much. I was a young guy mm. and they taught me how to be. It made me realise that the lessons are nothing to do with the teacher. They're all to do with the student. It's all to do with learning, not teaching. It's all to do with listening mm. to the students and creating something for them and realising that you've got to play to an audience of one. You know, mm. if you've got 10 people in a room, you play to 10 audiences of one. And now that I'm speaking to thousands of people in a mm. room, I play to thousands of audiences of one. I use exactly the same tricks. Mm. that I did in a special skill. I transferred all of the skills about focusing on the individual mm. into the world of dementia. Now, people thought that was really quite clever when I came in, into the world of care. But to be right, this is something that we've been doing in education for years. You know, we used to have IEPs, which were individual educational plans, where mm. it wasn't just, right, this will do for all the kids, we'll do, no, this will do for Sarah, this will do for Michelle, this will do for George. And that, of course, is what we do with care. You know, once upon a time, care was about one big teapot with tea and you would pour the sugar in the milk into a teapot. People, you know, you mm, hear these mm. tips and you think, well, nobody's getting the cup of tea they want there. So it was all about giving people the cup of tea that they wanted. And those kids with learning disabilities taught me 
everything that I use every day now. And it's it makes you, you have to be more entertaining. If your mm. audience has a short attention span, you better be a good act Correct. or else you're going to die on stage. Mm. And that's what I learned. And they were great. And I had a great time. And from then, I went to work for the home office, as you said. And there I was told that they needed a positive male role model because many of them didn't have them. And I had the job of stopping people getting kicked out of school and going to detention centres and things like that. And it was wonderful because I had to get those kids and learn them and learn how they ticked. And if they wouldn't let me in the front door, then I had to find a way of getting in the side door. I had to find out what ignited them, what interested them, what fascinated them. And this is all tricks that I've used with people living with dementia. Well, you can see how it reads across. I mean, as you're talking about it, you can see it's, I mean, it's person-centred care, isn't it? And it's also listening. I think the listening aspect is very interesting. Oh, it's everything. I used to go home and watch the American WWE wrestling on a weekend so that I could, I knew on Monday, no matter how bad a day the kids were going to have, I could talk about the wrestling hmm. and then we could get in and deal with any problems they have mm. via something else. If you know what mm. makes somebody tick, what mm. makes somebody's mm. heart rate faster and what irritates them, mm. if you know those things, then nobody's going to have a bad day. They'll just have bad moments because what you'll do is you'll catch them before they fall. Mm. And it's all stuff I learned in my 20s, and now I'm 51 and should know better. Well, it worked, didn't it? Because I remember you you told me way back when we sort of first had a big conversation that in one area when you were doing this work for the Home Office to implement in-school inclusion units, I think they were called, in one yeah. area the number of permanent exclusions fell from 13 to zero in a year. So it worked. The same year my hair went from brown to it's just, for, just <laughs> for men brown. Yeah, but, but good for you. And then in 2010, you were headhunted again, this time by the care sector. Yes, I was speaking at a conference and one guy saw me speak at a conference about how education had got it all wrong and how, how my kids will do the same exams just about as my dad did in 1952. Nine subjects and you'll have to do a modern language and you have to do three sciences and you have to do maths and just think, it's the same thing. They've been hammering the same round peg into a square hole forever. Mm. And that's still happening. My son this year will do pretty much the same. Mm. And I said, why don't we focus on the individual? You know, it's like when you look in the fridge. When you look in the fridge, sometimes all the ingredients you want aren't there. So you've got to make the best meal you can with the ingredients you've got. And so I said, we need to focus on the individual. And rather than focus on these kids... All together, we need to focus on them as individuals and create the best Michael and the best David and the mm. best Charlie. Because in the real world, and I, I stressed it with a lot of the kids I taught, in the real world, you only really need to be good at one thing. My best mate plays trombone. He's a trombone teacher and he's a professional tromboneist. It's bought his house. It puts shoes on his kids' feet, right? I'm just good at talking and good with words and getting people fired up and stuff. It's not a bad trick. Even my mates who are surgeons, they aren't surgeons for everything. I've got friends who are brain surgeons. I've got friends who are knee surgeons. They don't do the other person's gig. All you have to be is good at one thing. And I wish school would actually say, just be good at summers mm. because that's all the world needs you to be. Mm, mm. God, that's interesting, actually, Ian. I mean, so if you had to describe yourself in two words, in a sense, I'm asking you what your priorities are because when I read out the list, you know, you're an entertainer. You're a 
trainer of carers, but, you know, it, it's very difficult to pigeonhole you. I've found one, and it covers everything. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. That's all I am, storyteller. Because when I was teaching, I would turn everything into a story, try and make it more entertaining. Algebra was never algebra. I would say to the kids, hey, I'm struggling today. Can anyone help me find these missing numbers? Whereas next door, telling them how hard it was with X's and mm. Y's. And there's me, I just went, oh, I'm struggling, can you help us? And then it turned into a story that they needed to help this person who was in distress, who couldn't find the mission numbers. Can you help us? Come on, can we do this together? Can we go on this mission? What did you do? Because one always does. What did you do if you found a recalcitrant student or later on trainer who wasn't doing very well in a care home or something? Because you do. One always does. It sounds great now. But what if somebody just says, don't want to listen to you, mate? How do you deal with the really difficult situations? Do you know what? I don't want to listen to you, mate. I've had some tough cookies, right, over the years. And I have taught some people who went on to be pretty nasty criminals and everything. I always found a crack. Mm. I always found a bit of light. No matter mm. how dark we were, I could find a way, even if with the toughest notes. And I don't give up. And failure isn't an option, because if I fail, they're going to fail. I can't let them fail because a lot of them were in that situation not because of them but because of their lives mm, that they never mm, chose. Mm. And so I couldn't fail on them. And that's the same with people. You know, when I when I see people and I've got to talk to somebody and they say, how come you talk to that lady who's 96 like she's a young woman? I went, well, because she's a young woman. Mm. If I was to ask you, Pippa, when are you going to become an old woman? Never. So there's this saying that says, whatever you do, die young as late as you can. Mm. And a lot of these people I've met, and I've met people who are 114. There was a lady I met in Barnsley, 114. Check her out in the Guinness Book of Records. Mm. And I refer to her as Google in slippers because she knew everything and everybody wanted to talk to her. And what you do is you've just got to talk to these people and you cannot fail them and you've got to make sure that their life is as wonderful as it can be. Mm, mm. Old age is, is always sort of 15 years older than you are, aren't you? I think, is that the sort of point you're making, that inside you're the same? Mm. I saw it on my hospital notes the other day, you know, how doctors always put, I met a charming lady of, and it said, I met a charming lady of 61, and I honestly thought I got somebody else's notes. <laughs> I thought, crikey, that charming way, lady of 61 is me. Are you 61? Yeah, I'm 62 next week. Are you really? Yeah. I'll tell you what, you've had an easy paper round. Goodness me. <laughs> I haven't actually. That. I haven't actually. I've had a pretty... Charming pretty... lady of 61. Well, I wouldn't get charming bloke of 51, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends, doesn't it, on the eyesight and things of the doctor concerned. Anyway, so, number one, tell us what you think makes a really good carer particularly of somebody with dementia because that's sort of our subject today and also what's your input into helping somebody to become an even better carer well i'll do the second bit first all i do is show them how wonderful they are and how much they matter that's all i do people give me far too much credit but all i do is i look at somebody and it's like looking at a piece of ore and then you realise that's gold, is that? That's gold. I'd agree with you there because I've spent a bit of time looking around the films you've made with carers. And I have to say that 
either you're extremely good at picking carers, which even you, you know, probably beyond your superpowers, but they're all really motivated. They look as if they really genuinely enjoy what they're doing and they all look as if they're valued. And that's so, sadly, that is so rare because it's been very much highlighted during the pandemic. Often people in the care sector are horribly undervalued. So I would give you that in. I think that's true. You do make people feel really cared. The carers, I mean, sort of ironically. But I think it's very easy when you've, you've got leaders in the care yeah. sector, people like Ros Heath mm. and Anita at Wren Hall and mm. Jonathan at Birkdale and people like that. These aren't your norm. These are special people. Yes. And these are people who you will run through brick walls yeah. for. Yeah, leadership is incredibly important, I think. And when I'm making films with these people... I know Anita has exacting standards. I know that mm. Roz will push me in the same way I push her. And we've got this relationship mm. where we have a one-man veto, where if one of us says, that ain't good enough, then it isn't good enough. It, and so what happens is everything we do is always better than everything we've done. And we push ourselves to think, right, can we do that? And the only way we find out is by doing it. But these people are shaping. Mm. They spot something in people. In many ways, some of the care homes I see are phenomenal cheesecakes full of broken biscuits that have all been crumbled up together to create one beautiful dessert. I love your images, Ian. Give me examples of how you said, when we do something, we always do it better next time. It's a great ethos. In terms of how we push each other, we don't push each other in a way that's nasty. We push mm, each other mm. in a way that it's how can we make more impact? Yes. How can we touch somebody? Give me, how can an we, example. How can give me an somebody? example of where you've done that. We wanted to make a, a film to educate people about how to treat people with living with dementia. Mm. So we made the film with people who were living with dementia mm. and we just set up a green screen in their training room and go, please listen. And I just let it go. And we just put it all together and we put it with the people who care for the people living with dementia, for their families and for them. And it was a film made by the experts in dementia. There wasn't an actress to be found. It was all about just getting the essence of what yanked people's chain. And so you had someone called Betty saying, do I always have to watch old films? My Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, The Wizard of Oz. And you just think... How many care homes are just going to play My Fair Lady or Roman Holiday today when The Greatest Showman and Frozen are two fantastic modern-day musicals? I saw that film, in, and I have to say it was very impactful, yeah, because it's all the people with dementia speaking straight into the camera, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and once, it, once it, she says, Lise, listen, she went, no, please listen, isn't mm, it? Mm, and I kept mm, it all in there. Mm, and mm, it's mm. like, I don't like music. I like music. Mm. I like my music, mm. you know, and that was... Mm. And then there was uh, Sylvia. I gave her a megaphone. And she and went, she said, please shout stop at shouting mm. at me. Mm. 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 And mm. that was it. Mm. So we got their point across. And it wasn't filtered. Mm. I glued it together. I didn't cut it. Right, I got okay. all the bits that were warts and all. And then at the end, I had a gentleman singing somewhere over the rainbow. Mm. And he went, somewhere over the rainbow... Over the rainbow, and it was heartbreaking, mm, but it mm. summed everything up. She thought, Do you know what? 
He's enjoying it. Mm. He's happy with it. And do you know, it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter. We're not marking him out of 10. Mm. You know, mm. he's enjoying the song. And that's why you write songs, so that people sing them and love them. Mm. 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 Yeah. So you've done, because of this, there was the way you are with words. This is, as we said, you could with sort of bite-sized chunks. Let's go in order with your, your three books that you've written. And so, for example, they are these sort of bite-sized chunks of wisdom, like Dear Dementia, Total Strangers Undress Me, Shower Me and Put Me to Bed Without Introducing Themselves. Lasses never used to be so forward. Now, I've discussed with lots of my guests, Wendy Mitchell, all sorts of people about, and Grace Meadows made the same point. It's very good to be humorous, isn't it? Often dementia can be such a sort of, obviously, for absolutely understandable and obvious reasons, it can be quite a a sombre subject, a little bit dark, shadowy, fearful. It's really good if you can try and lighten it. And I do like the way you leaven everything, really, with quite a hefty dose of humour. Well, otherwise you'd cry all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, if you if you look at it for what it is, it's all snakes and no ladders, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the ladies in your film that we've just been talking about says to the camera, you know, to paraphrase, I wish you'd stop telling me what I can't do and let's talk about what I can do or something. But yeah. that can sound very trite and glib and it's one of those phrases that are bandied about in the dementia sector, aren't they? Sometimes you say these things without... It's like, if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. So all these kind of little sort of um, aphorisms. But when somebody with dementia says it with such force as she did, it mm. was much more impactful because you thought, yeah, she's really fed up with this. She's really fed up with people going on about the negatives. Yeah. Well, it's true. There's a voice that's not being heard. And the lion's share of people living with dementia aren't represented. You know, we have some people who do some wonderful work and are speaking at conferences and doing a great job, and I'm not knocking that, but I don't feel they're representative of the people who I meet every day who are living with dementia, who can't use Twitter, who Mm. can't, you know, write, who can't, you know, do all these things. And that's why we need to have these people's voices heard. Mm. And in many ways, that's why... I make the films that I do, Mm. write the stuff that I do. It's because they're often without a voice. Mm, mm. So somebody has to give them a bit of a mouthpiece or a bit of a forum for them to be heard because they are the real people who are living with dementia who aren't able to do all of this stuff. All of Mm. this wonderful stuff about living well with dementia, living well with dementia. And I'm all for the positive. I'm all for Mm. the positive. But I'm all for the real as well. Mm, And mm. the real needs to point out that do you know what? Not everybody does. Not everybody is having the slow burn that other people are having. And mm. some people are having house fires, mm, right? Mm, mm, and mm. we need that to be the real representative. And I think we just need to be a bit realistic with this. What is living well with dementia? And how much kindness and how much understanding and how much sweat and how much time and effort and care it takes from everybody. That needs to be the message. Mm. That needs to be the, the big round of applause because there's a lot of people pumping a lot of air into tyres with slow punctures and they carry on pumping every day. They will try and, you know, make it so that we can still live a life that's pretty good, mm. but it takes a huge amount of effort. effort. I'd like that highlight more and more because there's some, some unsung beautiful people who today 
are working their socks off and they're trying to make a sherry trifle with flour and water. Mm, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what they do day in, day out. Mm. I was talking recently, I, try, I was desperately trying to think then as you were talking, it was a man with dementia, I can't think who it was, who said he didn't actually really like the phrase living well with dementia because he said, I can't live well with dementia, I can live as best I can. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it's not, I wouldn't describe it as well. Anyway, uh, let, let's get on to you. This is the man who absolutely <laughs> nails the soundbite, you're so brilliant at them. And I, and I am also a storyteller, Ian, and I say that a soundbite is great if behind the few words, if behind the clever soundbite is something really profound, a good message, then it's more than a glib advertising jingle or a politician soundbite. It's not empty. It's actually deep. Uh, well, that was why we did Dear Dementia. So every page would spark a conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to be more than the soundbite, hasn't it? That What lies behind it? is significant and let's talk about the missing piece as well because this is very exciting because I know it's been horribly delayed I think this is your third time of hoping to debut with the play in January but the missing piece is a bit more structured it came out in 2018 and this is about grief isn't it and and yes. well you explain what it is well it's a, it's a book not about death it's a book about living and it's all about how we can be a better friend to those who lose people. It's all about stories of how people have survived losing the people that they can't live without. And it took me three years to write. Why did you decide to write it? Was it when Liz died? or No. I went up on Father's Day 2015 to see my dad, and I went to visit my mum's grave. Your dad's and... got dementia, hasn't he? He has now, yeah. Back in 2015, he was he was okay. Right up till he was about 80, he was okay. And I went to my mum's grave, and I just had a, had a bit talk to my mum, as you do, looking out over Weirdale. And I went home, and then I looked at social media, and it was Father's Day. And all, all social media was doing was, oh, we miss our dad so much, you know, can't believe he's gone. Blah, blah. Whilst all their mates are saying, I've got the best dad in the world, my dad's bigger than yours. I'm thinking, what a smack in the face this is. Mm. So it's a complete seesaw. You've either having the best day out with your dad, going out for a pub lunch and giving him a bottle of whiskey, or you're devastated because your dad isn't here. I remember, that. I remember the first Mother's Day after my mum died, actually, thinking exactly the same. Thinking everybody's yeah. having, they're all going for lunch and whatever. And mm. Seems so callous. And mm. what I did was I thought, right, every day has got to be like this. So some day could be your mum's birthday, could be your mum and dad's wedding anniversary, could be your birthday, which always hurts. My birthday always hurts so much because I think, well, how come, you know, I'm here and my mum isn't. She did all the heavy work there. And so I wrote the book and I got talking to people. I thought, right, who's got a story to tell here? And I got round a lot of people. I spoke to one of my friends who set up bereaved children's support in New York, and I said, I've got this idea to write a book. What do you think? And they went, that's amazing. What, a bereavement book that doesn't tell you how you should be thinking? Hmm. So a, a load of stories where you take a highlighter pen to the book and you highlight the bits where you do exactly the same that show you that it's not just you and that you're not yes, alone. Yes, I thought that was clever, actually. So, so just to explain to people, it's a little book with these pages, with these shorter succinct moments but then when it resonates with you as you're just sort of turning the pages 
it comes with a yellow highlighter and you highlight it. So as you say, it stimulates, it provokes it. Mm. Mm. And as soon as the ink hits the page, it means that you go from being on an island like Robinson Crusoe to yeah. realise that there's a bridge to yeah. another island that's not just you. Because everybody, if you, if you look in any main thoroughfare today, if you were to go down Oxford Street today, there's a lot of people and they are looking round mm. at the rest of them thinking, well, you're better at this than I am. Mm. I've lost somebody and I'm a mess and I'm the worst at this in the world and you all seem to be doing this loads better than me. But what they don't realise is, is that those people who they're looking at are looking at them thinking the exactly same. the same yeah we're, we're all the same and we're, we're not alone we're all struggling yeah yeah we're all a bit of a mess mm. we're all amazing some days and dreadful others mm. and if we're honest and we don't pretend and we don't filter everything we say do you know what? i'm having a rough day today do you say i'm sorry i'm a bit rubbish today i remember when i was a teacher i found out that my uncle had died right at lunchtime and i had to teach the worst group of kids toughest class in the school and I went in, I said, right, guys, my uncle's died 25 minutes ago. I'm a mess, right? I said, my usual sort of tether this afternoon, you could maybe get away. And I showed them with like holding up like a, as, like a fisherman with a fish. I said, mm. normally you get away with this. So that would be quite a big fish. I said, I'll be honest. I'm in bits this afternoon. You'll mm. get away with this. I said, can I ask a favor? Can we get our heads down and work out this afternoon? And mm. normal will be resumed tomorrow. Mm. And do you know what? Some of the toughest kids that were in that mm. school, mm. one of them who was like an absolute diehard, mm. he just got his head down, worked so hard. And at the end of the end of the lesson, he came up and he just tapped my arm and he went, sorry about young girl, sir. And mm. I thought, wow, you get it. Mm. And if we're honest with one another, then we've got a chance. If we all sort of sugarcoat things mm. and, you know, Rose tint stuff, everything. We're not going to get there. Everything's filtered. I've met loads of people recently at dementia events who I haven't recognised because they're looking out like their photos. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? They look like Disney princesses. No, hang you? on a minute. That, you're not talking about me, are you? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite straight. I'll say nothing. I'll say nothing. I'll tell people to look at photos of it. So, yeah. No, I think that's a very important point you make. And and the more that I sort of talk in different environments about the power of storytelling and about good communication, for me, the most important part, and really what you and I are talking about on one level, is communication, whether it be with students, with carers, with people with dementia. Communication is so important. It is this being honest, being sincere and genuine and authentic. And showing which it's taken me actually my 62 years to realize this I think but showing a little bit of vulnerability it's a very good thing to do we we, we seem to be sort of trained I don't know whether it's us you know in the UK with our stiff upper lips but I just went for so long thinking I cannot show any vulnerability and it's taken me so long to realize that actually you can and in fact if you do people really respond I think we've gone another way though and this concerns me even more I think now when I go on LinkedIn or something, everyone's showing me there's pictures of the medication that they're on. And I'm thinking, why are you telling me this? It's like saying, look at me, you know, it's okay not to be okay and all mm. this sort of thing. Mm. I actually believe it's not okay mm. to not be okay mm. because I think we need to be okay. And that means we need to open up and not almost celebrate when things are going wrong and make mm. a big deal, mm. you know, mm. all this mm. Sort of thing. Mm. but to actually say it right. This isn't right. Yeah. We want it right. Mm. And so there's a middle ground. There, there. is a middle ground. And I think it's like any currency that you choose to use. 
Mm. you've got to use it correctly and sparingly. And if you overuse it, it loses its value. And I think, exactly. that, I think that's what's happening. It's like, isn't it, when, as you said, and you've given several examples, when you've got a really hard nut of a child or whoever, when they show you a little bit of compassion and a little bit of heart, that is very powerful. Oh. If, if you've got somebody who's sort of emoting all over the place, and in a sense nowadays people do tend to sort of spill their guts, and you're thinking, I didn't even know you, I really, you know, I feel whatever, it completely loses its power. Yeah, you've got to use it sparingly. Mm. I'm on that vulnerable thing all the time. I'm, you know, I'm a gentle giant all the time. Mm. The number of times I can just fall to bits in the middle of a talk and just pull it back. Mm. Um, at the care show this year, I did a song called Lift You Up, which was all about care staff mm. during the pandemic. And I really struggled. Mm. I really struggled because it really meant so much. And I saw what people had gone through. And I know how people are living with dementia. Like, I couldn't see my dad for, mm. for months, mm. right? And everyone says, oh, it's okay, FaceTime. FaceTime mm. means nothing mm. to me, Dad. Mm. That's not mm. me. Mm. I have to be in the room mm. Mm. and even look like I used to. I turned up one day with a beard on, right? and grey hair and glasses, and I walked in, he never had a clue who I was. Mm, mm. And it's the only time he hasn't, and it destroyed me. Mm. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, It's do. a very difficult moment when your mum or dad doesn't recognise you. But yeah. it was my fault. Mm -hmm. I turned up in disguise, right? I never used to have a beard, I never used to have glasses, and mm. I never used to have grey hair. That was my fault. So next time I went, I made sure that I looked more like me. How is your dad? Um, not great. Dementia's winning. The way I look at it is this, my dad was there when I needed him. Mm. My dad gave me everything that I use every day. Put it this way, if you've seen me speak live, you know who my dad is. Okay, I have seen you speak right? live, yeah. Because I move like my dad. Right. The apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree. I'm a lot mm. more streetwise, I'm a lot more mm. edgy than my dad. My mm. dad's a lovelier bloke than I am. Mm. Um, but my dad gave me all the bits and... Mm. When I said, Dad, what shall I be? I remember when I was a kid, I said, what shall I be? He says, be an astronaut, lad. Uh, or be a brain surgeon. Be a footballer. Be a bin man. He says, but on one condition. You're a bloody good astronaut. A bloody good brain surgeon. A bloody good bin man. Right? And that you love doing it. And so that's allowed me to do all the stuff I do. So I haven't really had a career as I've actually careered through life. But all I've, all I've known, <laughs> my, dad, my dad has given me that sort of permission almost mm. to do whatever I want, so long as I do a really good job of it, and it really makes me happy. Mm. And, that, and that's why my daughter's at drama school with mm. fantastic A-levels instead of at Derham University, because I said, whatever you do, don't do anything. Don't do anything for me and your mum, mm. right? Do it for you, because you'll be here long mm. after us. And you need to be happy. Mm. Do what you want to do. And that's why she's doing drama and, you know, mm. contemporary. Your mum was a big influence too, though, wasn't she, Ian? Because tell us about A Night to Remember. Because And tell us about, if you don't mind, if it's not too sensitive, but uh, she was really pivotal in your life. And when she died in 2009, you said, really, your life changed. Because before that, you'd focused on things like money and fast cars. And, and then you realised you've got to filter out the rubbish. Do you know what? Poof. Yeah, you're right. I'm on my life V2.0, right? At 39, I have my life before my mum died and then I have the life after my mum died. Mm. And 
it really is quite odd. Mm. It's it's kind of a bit like, you know, when people who've got cancer have got go for stem cell thing, and they mm. almost get they get given unofficially, they get given a new date of birth. Yeah. And July the seventh, two thousand and nine, my life changed totally. My mum died in three. I got a phone call on the Friday night, ten to nine, and my dad said, "Get up to the northeast quick." And I went, "What?" He says. Your mum's dying. And uh, poof, I got up quick. And, uh, you know, she um, she had three days to live and it was rubbish, rubbish. But you learn, you learn. And what I did was I realised that I got it wrong. I'd got it wrong. I'd filled theatres, I'd made money, I was doing all right, but it was all about me. What were you doing then? I had a good career in teaching and all this sort of thing. Mm. So I was still I was still doing that. But it was all me, me, me. Mm. See, I had some really good tricks and skills that I was using to help me. I guess other people were benefiting, but it was all about me, really. And I suddenly thought, I'm getting this all wrong. And I did. And I jumped out of teaching because I was being forced into becoming a head teacher. Like, really fast. They said, right, we, we need you on this qualification. We want you as a head. We want you with this. And I didn't want it. And I, I, I left teaching. I resigned without another job. And then I got headhunted into the world of care after that. And I thought, do you know what? Why not? Why not? And, yeah, it changed my life totally. I'm now addicted to doing nice things. And it's a real nasty addiction. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good addiction, actually, yeah. Oh, as we speak, I'm trying to sort out this big Christmas care sing-along. Yeah, for tell all... us about that, because we haven't got to that yet. I knew this would be this sort of conversation. Well, I know. Right, well, I'm doing this thing. I did it last year with some amazing people. Every Life Technologies have basically got behind it and given us a budget to put it together. And last year, Christmas was cancelled. Mm. And mm. I thought, right, I want to create an hour of play-as-live telly that's interactive and lovely. Mm. in every care home and every home all over the world for now. And it went down a storm and we got people sending videos from all over the world, from Australia, from New Zealand, from everywhere. So explain how it happened. Yeah, I'm a bit lost there. How did you... Well, dead easy. I, I, I thought, can I do this? And I thought, yes, I can. I've got the technology to do this. I've got a MacBook. I can do this. I can, people can send us videos. I can edit it all together. Right. And then we put it all... And we did it, and it was great. And we got some performers, and we went into a warehouse and recorded some things with a green screen. So if you go to the big Christmas care singalong.com, you'll see what we did last year. Yeah. But uh, if you're listening to this after the 20th of December 2021, if you go to it now, you'll see what we did this year because it'll all be edited and done. And how do you access the film? You just go to that website, and it'll play. So you're not just talking about it being in care homes, then anybody can access it's anyone it. Can anybody get it, yeah. with access to an internet. It was made to be an event for care homes and mm, people in mm. home care and supported living in hospitals, and all of those people watched it. But so did people in their own home to give them something that was not commercial telly, not about ratings, but about do you know what we're playing to an audience of one. And that's you. Can they sing along to it then? Is that the point? You can, and the words appear on the screen. Right, yeah. And it's lovely. And it's only the well-trodden verses, and it's lovely. And then we've got people who are singing from all over the world sending me their videos, and some are beautiful and some are horrible. But it's great, and it highlights just the 
togetherness and it shows that care has no borders. And that's the idea of the big Christmas care sing-along. And I'm working on that as we speak. I know you and you're not never working on just one thing. So that's no, I'm not. one thing. You've obviously got your uh, missing piece. Who approached you to say we'd like to turn this into a play? A director called Gemma MacDonald in York. Very, mm. very talented uh, young woman, fantastic actress, really good director. She read the book and she said, I can see this on, on the stage. And then she told me her vision for it. And we sat down, we came up with a few ideas between us. The idea of it is amazing. We've got Mark Addy, the actor from Game of Thrones and the Full Monty. He's narrating it. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got people like Mark Gatiss, who wrote Mm. Sherlock, who thought that the missing piece, he described it, he read it in a night, Mm. Mark Gatiss, and he called it wonderful and inspirational. And he's a proper grown-up writer. (laughs) You know, so I've got that on, and then I'm doing Christmas presents with the team which is normally a big Christmas party on Christmas Day for people living alone, living with dementia. And this year, because of the pandemic, we're going around with uh, Christmas dinners and hampers of goodies around people's homes individually, pairs of drivers, and we're going to make sure everyone's all right on Christmas Day and knock at the door. How many people How many people are involved in that then? How many pairs of drivers are there? How many pairs of drivers? Like, we're, we're probably about 30. Wow. 30, and we'll reach, I don't know, getting on for 100, 100 homes. How do you and find the you, drivers? You just find them. Do you know what I mean? You just find them. I you remember you up. once said to me, I'm just a bloke with a mobile phone. And I am just a bloke with a mobile phone, and that's a bloke <laughs> with a mobile phone. I'll be, I'll be right. When it comes to Christmas presents, I have two people called David and Beverly Lonsdale, hmm. two people who are retired, who are machines with hearts. There isn't a job you can't give them that they won't do. There are very few people you meet in this world who over-deliver. Mm. And these people are over-delivery drivers. They over-deliver on everything. Mm. They always give you better than you could have dreamt. Seriously, I once won an award for Christmas presents and I couldn't I couldn't show up at the award ceremony because I felt like I was such a fraud. Mm. So I just sent some of the team along mm. because, honestly, these two are just... Oh, they'd run through brick walls. I, mm. I'm, I'm short on adjectives. And for a bloke who was a good talker, I am short on adjectives. They're that good. So we get these people. We get all of the stuff that's done on donations. Mm. We do it with a budget and out. Mm. And it's stunning. And it makes your heart sing. Mm. And it makes you realise what you can do, how, how you can mm. help, the influence you can have on people's lives. And, you know, I found a picture today of a lady who was 103. It was her very last Christmas. Mm. And there's a picture of me and her having a laugh on Christmas Day. Mm. And that photo was the front page of York Press. And on February the 15th, two months later, that lady was found in a, in a house and she'd passed away and she had it, that photo, on her chair arm and we'd given her a last Christmas. Mm. And that photo was on her chair arm. And I, I showed all the guys, I said, that's what we do. That's what we do. When It's not about the grandeur of it all. It's not about the big party of it all. It's not about getting a brass band to play at this party. It's about what that's meant to somebody's Christmas. It was 103. Mm. You know, 100. We don't even understand 103. Mm. And, and that was it. That was what we do. And so, yes, I'm addicted to all this stuff, and it eats up my time, and it means I'm a horror to live with, right? But do you know what? In years to come, when you're not here... People don't aren't going to talk about 
what job you've had or how much money you've had or what house you live in or what car you drive. They're just going to talk about how you help people. And I'd like to think that I'll leave a mark and not a stain. You leave a bloody big mark. Sorry, excuse my French. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just, are big Ian. To... You are big Ian, after all. Yes. You're never going to be shy and retiring and little try, and shrinking, are you? No. Can I tell you something else we've been doing, though? Go on. Just the last one. Made with love. Oh, yes. Right. I did have that in my notes, actually. Well done. Right. Well, mm. Made with love was a... a... That, that's Joe Bonser, isn't it? With Joe Bonser there. And Joe got in touch with us and she said, right, I've got this idea. Explain to people who Joe Bonser is. Right, Jo Bonds is very well known as a, a businesswoman in the world of care, but she's a heart in the world of care as well. And her mother had dementia and her mother was told that she was going to die one Christmas day. And Jo took over her mum's eating experience, okay, a mealtime experience. And somehow, after being told that her mum was going to die, her mum had four more Christmas dinners and blew out 396 more birthday candles. She lived four more years, you mean? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And so we, I put together a funny, a funny film, but a heartfelt film about what food means to us. Mm. Um, mm. And so I've sent you that. I've sent you that. You've got it on a wee transfer. That's what um, you sent literally as we're about to go on air in your typical fashion. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, typical fashion. <laughs> I haven't quite had time to look at that yet. It's been used at conferences all over the world, in Australia and everything. Jo debuted it with a talk herself, which I coached her with, which I have to say she did a fantastic job. I, I was so proud. So is it about eating or is it about what food, you know, getting together around a table means? Or It's to do with everything. It's okay. to do with all of that and more. It's to mm-hmm. do with the eating experience, the presentation, mm-hmm. that something served with a smile yeah. and with love. Mm. and it's got all those little things, those little memories that a taste takes you to straight away. Absolutely. And it's all there in a film, and it's beautiful, and I've got some funny, funny people who I know. I've got all my local community. Most of the film was made in my dining room. We created Christmas in my dining room in September. My wife went mad. Mm. Uh, Mm, I do pity your wife, I have to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, and it's made a big impact and it's been shown at a lot of conferences around the world. It's been used to train staff. and very, very proud of it. But it's storytelling. It's telling people's mm. individual stories about food. And, you know, it's not to do with knives and forks. It's to do with friendship. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it's about. Well, Big Ian, thank you very much for coming on. You were brilliant, I have to say. Big Ian, what a character. I once said that the name fitted him like a supersized glove. He's a force of nature with a winning Geordie earthiness and seemingly endless ideas and energy. So often my guests tell me that their loved one's illness and subsequent death has changed them forever. I think it's probably true to say that it happened to me when first my dad and then my mum died, slowly, cruelly, over the course of almost a decade. I believe I'm more tolerant now, a little more patient, hopefully kinder. Both Ian's parents obviously had a massive influence on him. His dad, in his words, gave him everything that he uses every day. And his mum's death seems to have shattered him, forced him almost to restart, reboot his life. As he says, he's now on V2.0 of his life. If V1, or version 1, was all about him, 
The second is all about him helping others. I'm now addicted to doing nice things, he says. We've covered most of them, but inevitably, really, not all of them. As this teacher come trainer of carers, come entertainer, come musician, come conference host once told me, I've got a voice now and I want to give a voice to the people who maybe haven't. It's not a bad little mission to have, is it? And I have to say, no, Ian, it's not. You can buy all three of Ian's books from his website, bigian.co.uk. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast. And then together, perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.